Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Upward. This is a podcast where we share and highlight the stories of Asian Americans in corporate and business America. We share their career journeys, lessons learned in their professional experiences, and advice as an Asian American in corporate America. And this is your host, Min Kwan. Hey everyone, so today's guest is Andrew Tan. He is currently a human capital management consultant at Deloitte. And I had a really interesting conversation with him. We are talking about, you know, pivoting into the consulting world with a background in digital media, his experience as an international student who's coming from a non-target school, and just the overall value of mentorship. So without further ado, um, we hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you, Andrew, for joining this podcast. It's great to meet you. Um, And before we get started on all the questions, uh, do you mind giving us a little bit of a snippet of your journey from, you know, being in Singapore to where you are today? Yeah, so um, as mentioned, I'm from sunny Singapore where the humidity is really hot. And then coming over to now windy Chicago where the winters are brutal, I think I exchanged one extreme for another. Coming from Singapore, I used to study in 3D animation and film design. So that was a diploma called digital media. It was a three-year diploma. Um, After graduating from my polytechnic, which was Singapore Polytechnic, Mm -hmm. I had to serve two years of mandatory military service for Singapore, uh, where I served as a combat engineer in the 30SC division. Mm -hmm. And after that, I kind of was considering where I wanted to go next and decided to go abroad for studies as I wasn't smart enough to qualify for local universities in (laughs) Singapore. Um, Thankfully, I studied for my SATs, got a decent score. And that made me come to the US where I went to IU, Indiana University. And I went to the Kelly School of Business where I majored in accounting and finance. So it's kind of a too long didn't read version of my life. (laughs) And now you are at uh, Deloitte, right? Yes, and now I'm currently at um, Deloitte Consulting. I started out my career as a strategy consultant at McKinsey based out of the Chicago office. Um, and about a year and two months after I left and I came back to Deloitte to work as a human capital consultant where I work now. Okay, cool. I mean, that background itself has a lot to unpack, even from your background in uh, media, digital media. Um, I guess that's my first question. What, how did you kind of pivot and how did you, how did you think about pivoting from a digital media background or an art background into consulting, which is, can be quite different? Yeah. Um, during my time in doing digital media, I soon realized I had no talent for art. It was very apparent after a while. <laughs> Once I realized that, hey, I liked filming, but I wasn't necessarily good at it. And the arts industry in Singapore, to be honest, doesn't pay as well. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I want to do a career switch. And during that time, I was contemplating between studying business or studying physiotherapy. So also very different choices. Yeah. Uh, for me, I got into physiotherapy because of my injury in armed forces. So I thought, hey, maybe this is something I wanted to do. And then for business, my family basically runs a family business. Mm-hmm. And I had cousins who were investment bankers. So it was always like an option where my family said, have you considered finance? And I was like, okay, I'll listen to the family for once and try yeah. to do finance. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I ended up doing my accounting and finance background over at IU and quickly realized that oh, I actually do enjoy a lot of the business concepts that I'm learning. So I got more into it and I think the rest is history on like moving forward to find a career within, you know, the business world. As an international student, half of the challenge is finding a company that will sponsor you and um, give you a job. 
And so as an international student, what kind of recruitment strategies were you using to make sure that you were the strongest candidate that you could be and stand out from the hundreds of thousands of other candidates that were applying to Deloitte or McKinsey? Yeah, I think what I found helpful was actually my background in digital media actually played a role. Okay. Um, reasons why I wanted to actually come to the U.S. to study in the first place was I felt as kind of an Asian growing up in Singapore, they teach you really good math and science and all the hard skills, um, like a technical skill. However, I felt Asians aren't very good at speaking up. <laughs> Neither are they really as good as communicating and, you know, grew up with American movies and TV yeah. shows. And I was like, oh, maybe I should go to America to learn how to speak better. <laughs> so that's kind of one of the reasons why I chose American instead of the UK or Australia. Because mm -hmm. um, my sister went to Australia as well for her undergrad. Um, so I really wanted a different experience. So that's why I picked the US. And coming in, you know, I thought I would be one of the worst speakers since I'm not American. And I still recall it was my business communications class uh, that I was actually the top student in that class. And okay. I was like, oh, I think my background in digital media helped because you learn a lot about storytelling, how to communicate a message, keeping the audience's attention. And I kind of leveraged those skills when it came down to recruiting, whether it's going to career fairs and introducing myself to professionals, whether it's networking, you know, one-on-one -on -one calls such as these. Um, I think that really helped to showcase my personality and to communicate my interests. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, I guess, made me stand out compared to the other candidates who, you know, had like the rest of the criteria looking for, you know, good GPA, extracurricular activities. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I think where other international students struggle in terms of communication, I had that kind of background that made me stand out. So that's very interesting that you bring in the digital media because I think a lot of, you know, what art is, is communicating and storytelling. And it's awesome to see that, that actually, even though you claimed that you weren't as good, it still played a role in your overall career. And I, I think that's pretty valuable, right? Um, it, it also tells us that, you know, only learning business skills and only learning how to write a resume isn't going to cut it. Um, yep. It's all about how you kind of present yourself. So that's awesome. Um, and you also talk a little bit about, um, and this is in one of your posts at Southern Asian Networking, um, about coming from a non-target school. So being an international student and be, being at a non-target school is just double whammy of a challenge. So how did you approach uh being from a non-target school and how did you how, how were you able to kind of highlight yourself among those you know employers that didn't target your school yeah um and so to clarify my school is not a target school for mbb so like mckenzie bain and bcg is not necessarily seeing iu as kind of a, a top choice mm -hmm. um, deloitte on the other hand i think IU was a target school for Deloitte. There were a lot of folks from our school that did get into Deloitte Consulting. Mm -hmm. um, but so for me, when I was recruiting, it was kind of a mixed bag of, you know, having kind of a pretty strong background and alumni that can support like my Deloitte recruiting. And then I remember for my McKinsey recruiting, I think there was only three or four of my seniors who were at the firm mm -hmm. currently. So there wasn't as many. I remember my start class, there were about 40 to 45 people. And I think 12 of them came from Michigan and the other 12 came from Northwestern. So, yeah. <laughs> and I was the only guy along with another friend who interned at McKinsey for two summers from IU to get into the start class. So it was definitely a, a more challenging experience recruiting from IU. I think in terms of standing out, what I did well was that my freshman year, I came in knowing that I wanted to get as much experience talking to professionals as possible. Mm -hmm. So as a freshman, I already went to career fairs uh, just yeah. to get practice in. I knew I wasn't going to get an internship or, you know, 
any opportunities, but I just wanted to get into the groove of feeling comfortable. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I think candidates do have the skill sets that's required is if you don't get practice talking to professionals, you might stammer, you might not bring yeah. across your message clearly. So I think starting early was one thing and definitely I still worked hard to make sure I had the basic requirements. Yeah. Uh, when I was recruiting my junior year for internships, I had a 3.95 GPA. Um, I was the president of a Pan-Asian business club. I was doing this thing called the consulting workshop. Mm -hmm. I was doing case competitions. Wow. I was doing a lot, like basically everything I think I needed to stand out, like on paper I did. And I also tried to do outside of my, both my extracurriculars and also my grades is to really network with people to get into the comfort zone of talking to random folks. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because coming from, you know, digital media background, you might not necessarily have the intuition or the knowledge of, you know, in a different country, how do these consulting firms recruit? <laughs> and so how did you kind of develop the intuition or how did you kind of learn, I guess, how to develop your resume, make yourself stronger as a candidate? And how did you find out, I guess, how did you learn? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think it comes from a few different experiences I had. Um, the first being that the school, the business school, the Kelly Business School is a pretty good business school that provides basic resources on how to design your resume. And I know now with Google, you can find all the tips and tricks that you ever need in the world. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's where students struggle. Um, secondly, I think what really helped me, and I'm similar to you, right? I mean, I'm passionate about mentoring. It's because my freshman year, like I had a senior from Singapore who kind of gave me some guidance and said, hey, here's what classes to take, like mm -hmm. here's what you should do. And then I realized, oh shit, when like someone's helping me out, like it's so much easier. Yeah. Um, so I, I always actively look for you know, new mentors, you know, people who have been through the, the gauntlet before that can give me some advice. And I think that really accelerated my learning. Mm -hmm. um, but I think more importantly, besides these two points, I think given my background coming from Singapore, I think that put more of a drive to really execute on these things that I learned. So I think theory is pretty easy to find out with Google and mentors can provide you all the advice that you could ever need, but you need to kind of have a reason to push you to actually do this uncomfortable thing, such as talking to a professional, right? Yeah. And for me coming into college, I was I think 23 or 24 when I started. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine everyone else who's a freshman was like, what, 18, 17? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, and I, I felt like I was running behind and that kind of made me decide to work much harder uh, than I ever did in my life. Mm -hmm. So once I quickly found the direction from, you know, school resources, mentors, I was like, all right, I'm just going to push as hard as I can mm -hmm. um, to work as hard as possible. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome because a lot of the times you can spend all your time like learning and talking to mentors and learning all this advice, but that's only half the battle and you have to actually implement and execute on those learnings. And to see change, you need to be uncomfortable and take risks. I want to talk a little bit about your work at McKinsey and Deloitte. You switched from one of the top consulting firms to another consulting firm, and then you came back to Deloitte. Um, I just want to kind of get a perspective on what were the factors that played into those switches, and mm -hmm. how did you, how did you, I guess, find or figure out what impact each switch would have on your career? Yeah, um, for me, going to McKinsey, I was like really excited, right? Like. Mm -hmm. I loved all the seniors I talked to who worked at the firm. I think we bonded really well and I was excited to start my career there. For me, why I decided to switch, there were a few reasons. I think that first of all, um, I felt like personally, I couldn't bond with a lot of the other analysts in my analyst class. 
to give you some context, I don't really drink or party a lot. I'm a, I'm a huge introvert, so I like to stay at home and just chill by myself and have like deep conversations with friends, like a one-to-one basis like this, mm-hmm. you know, talk about economy, politics, philosophy, anything that comes to mind. Right. Um, but I felt like during my time at McKinsey, I couldn't really click with a lot of the folks uh, who were in the same year as me. Like I found really cool people that I worked with on projects, mm-hmm. um, but I kind of missed that sense of community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like I didn't have as strong as a support group as I did like back in college. And I did try to reach out. And of course, I, I always take ownership for my own life. So I don't blame McKinsey because it's a great company and there are really smart people there. Mm-hmm. But I think personally for me, it wasn't a fit. It's I think more so just a personality thing probably mm-hmm. uh, why I couldn't find that fit. I think a great story to share is that it was my last project um, at McKinsey before I left the firm. And we were having a team dinner with my team. And, you know, I'm always curious about what drives people, what kind of what they're looking forward to do in the future, what's their value. So I asked and said, hey, you know, kind of what are your plans five years out? Like, what do you guys foresee you want to do? And my manager at the time said, you know what, I want to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really ambitious. Um, and another analyst on the, on the team was also there. And she said, wow, yeah, that's really ambitious. Uh, I'm not that ambitious. And I was like, oh, what do you want to do? And she was like, I just want to be the CFO. <laughs> and I thought that was a joke initially, and I realized it wasn't. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. and, for, and for me, and like, I just asked myself, like, what do I want to do? And I was like, I just want to like, be a good dad in the future when I have kids. Mm-hmm. So I, I think what I realized was that a lot of my peers at McKenzie were going after really great and ambitious things, right? Like, C-level exec suite for a Fortune 500 company, being the next Zuckerberg, the next unicorn startup, VC, yeah. PE, you know, MBA, like it's, it's stuff you always hear. But I, I think I, I used to want that, to be honest and to be frank, right? Like I, I left college thinking I'll do two to three years at McKinsey, I'll get an Ivy League MBA, you know, go join like a corporate and, and kill it, right? But having actually landed the job and started to work there, I think I quickly realized that was more so what everyone else told me I should have done. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, when you get into the business school, everyone says the same thing, like investment banking, consulting, right? Right. And you get caught up cause every, all your friends say the same thing and you think that this is what you want. And then having done it myself, I was like, Oh, like maybe it's not what I want. <laughs> having like met more people and talked to more people as well. But yeah, so I think it was more so a fit issue. And, you know, everyone has a different experience at the firm. I, like, I loved half my projects. I hated half my projects. Mm-hmm. Many stories from my time at McKinsey, but I learned so much in that year, year plus. Right. Like, even though it wasn't a fit for me, I tell all my mentees the same thing. Like, you have to figure out if it is for you uh, or not. Because some of my mentees have returned offers from, like, Deloitte, and they're like, but I want to do MBB. And I'm like, Okay, great. Like, sure. <laughs> but if you did an internship for Deloitte and you loved it, you feel supported, you have a network that supports you, why risk all of that mm-hmm. for a new company that you, you might not even enjoy, then you might burn out as well. Right. And I think that's what a lot of students get caught up in just chasing after the prestige or chasing mm-hmm. after the next shiny job. And they don't take a step back and say, Hey, you know, let, let's be frank. Like, is this something I really want? And I think there were a few incidents in my life that really helped me make that decision. One being another friend who 
did consulting with me for the school. So our school has an organization called the Board of Eons mm-hmm. uh, that works with the president of IU to do consulting for the school itself. And I remember the last year he quit school, I think the second semester senior. And we were all surprised because he interned at Google, Goldman Sachs, like all the top tier companies. Mm-hmm. And I think he just burnt out. And I recall talking to him and said like, why, why, why such a drastic move of like quitting school? And he was like, yeah, and we were like, I just got tired of living up to what everyone wanted me to do. And I kind of lost what I wanted to do. And so he, he, it, it got so bad that he had it, to, he had to quit school, mm-hmm. uh, to, to find what he wanted. And <clears throat> we haven't talked in a while, but you know, I'd like to see what he's up to. And he's currently doing game design, doing UX design, and he seems to be much happier. Like I read his posts. I'm like, oh, wow. I'm glad that he found what he yeah. wanted to do. Yeah. I think you touch on a very, almost a philosophical question of do I choose a job that makes me really, really happy or do I choose a job that, you know, catapults me into the C-suite for say? It is important to make sure that you have your priority street and you've obviously found that. Um, at Deloitte, what do you think have been the key factors to being successful or being a, a great leader or a good employee in general? Like what, what's, what, what key uh, skill sets have made you successful at Deloitte? Um, yeah, I think a lot of it transferred over from McKinsey. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing you always hear at Deloitte that they drive a lot is networking. <laughs> okay. um, and I think that's very, there were slight differences in the key messages that were driven from both firms. Deloitte was very big about driving, hey, you drive your own career and like networking is big. So please do you know, keep that up, talk to people you enjoy talking to, reach out to folks if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for McKinsey, they also say the same thing, but I think a lot of focus was, was a lot on also really taking pure ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I saw the difference in projects, right? At McKinsey, even at my first project, I was expected to present to executives at the end of four weeks, fresh out of college. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a lot of responsibility for like a student who just graduated. Right. Yeah. But you're kind of expected like throwing the line off the cliff and you're like, all right, go claw yourself. Right? I mean, people still support you and everything, but the expectation right. is you own your work stream 100%, mm-hmm. right? And Deloitte, like they definitely still expect you to own it, but I think the, the level and intensity that I expect is a bit not as strong. Mm-hmm. Um, there was even an experience once at Deloitte where I got feedback that I was overstepping my boundaries Interesting. because I was trying to drive the work to what I thought needed to be driven. Mm-hmm. So I was like taking on more work that was not within my scope. Because at McKinsey, that's what I did. I was like, yeah, I own it. I have to do everything, right? So I think there was some of a, a balance there that I had to be, uh, you know, be wary of. I was like, okay, like at McKinsey, that's like the obligation to descend. If you, if you feel like you should speak up and this is something you have a different opinion, you have to speak up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another big thing that McKinsey does drive. For Deloitte, it is the same thing. They encourage you to speak up, but I think it's more so where the focus is. And I think the focus is definitely still doing a good job, you know, making sure you network, do, you know, get on projects, mm-hmm. to do good skills with your client in terms of client management. So I think every firm, every consulting firm are looking for the same things. It's, I think right. different firms put a, a bit more of an emphasis on certain things more than others. Mm-hmm. And not to say that that's good or bad. It's just a, a different message that's being communicated interesting okay and you talked about mckinsey having or requiring ownership right coming out of college that's a daunting task for anyone i guess uh, regardless of skill level Um, how did you kind of cope with that and how did you kind of balance being you know 
making stupid mistakes, if for lack of a better word, but also having ownership and being confident in your own decisions and your business acumen. Yeah, uh, that was definitely a very difficult experience that I think uh, most consultants can relate to and even most college students starting out on a new job. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, definitely both Deloitte and McKenzie provide really good support resources. You, know, you can reach out to any professional in the firm that, you know, let's say you're on an agriculture project, mm-hmm. you can reach out to partners who have experience in agriculture, right? If you're looking to build out some kind of Excel model, just you know, look out to your friends, you know, your start class, people on the team and say, hey, do you know anyone else who has done a similar Excel model, like a financial model before? And they can guide you to that direction. Both mm-hmm. consulting firms do that pretty well. So I think it's not so necessarily the resources in terms of who can help. It's more so dealing with the expectation that you have to be really cognizant that you are the person who is responsible for this. And sometimes that pressure can get to you. Um, and being able to manage kind of that pressure is more important than actually needing resources because both McKinsey and Deloitte has that in spades. Mm, interesting. Do you think that, um, so you talk a lot about uh, support systems and having mentors. Do you think that is one of the keys to success? And if so, how did you go about building that community at Deloitte and McKinsey? Because for someone who's just starting out, it might be daunting to be emailing a partner and saying, hey, you know, be my mentor or, hey, help me build this model, right? So yeah. how would you approach building those communities and building those mentorship relationships? Yeah, um, so definitely I don't start off by reaching out to the partner. <laughs> they have time to speak to me. Um, I, I tend to just look for people around my level or a level above so they can still kind of relate to you. I think partners, they have a lot of experience, but one, the age gap is big, so they might not relate to kind of your struggles as well. As well, mm-hmm. um, so for me, I tend to look for yeah people in my start class, you know, friends from my college who can then introduce me to other people as well. Mm-hmm. And I typically look for people I can kind of have a good vibe with. Mm-hmm. And I think given my personality, that's kind of where I struggled at McKinsey was I tried, but I couldn't find as many <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that I, I think had a similar vibe. And not to say these people are bad again, it's just we were all different mindsets. Yeah. Um, I realized my style is I tend to be very frank and more vulnerable. Um, and I couldn't find as much as that at the firm. Mm-hmm. And again, it might be my fault because I didn't look hard enough, who knows. <laughs> um, but at Deloitte, it was easier because there were so many people from IU that I already knew. Mm-hmm. So it was a much easier transition. Um, for me, when I reach out, <clears throat> I tend to also want to understand them as people. So I would definitely ask like the professional questions like, hey, how do you navigate the firm? Mm-hmm. You know, wanting to know about how would you design this financial model? But at the same time, I'm not there just to get to know them because there's some technical skills I want to build that's part of the equation. Mm-hmm. But for me, what matters more is like, can I also know who you are outside of work to see if we can really build a friendship? I don't like the term networking because it always, to my mind, has a bit of a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. Sounds um, transactional. Yeah, it, it sounds very transactional. So I always like to think, hey, we're building relationships and friendships mm-hmm. rather than that. And that's why I'm very cognizant when I do my networking. Of course, at the start when I reach out, it's because you know I might have seen their profile on LinkedIn. I might have seen like a profile in the internal professional network and say, oh, you know, in the industry I might enjoy whatever skill set I'm looking to build. Of course, it starts from there. But after the conversation, I'm definitely looking to understand them as well to see if we can be friends, like not just colleagues. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's where I found the most success for mentorships is mentors who are more like friends. Yeah. And, you know, I still keep in touch with a lot of my mentors till this day. Like 
and it doesn't have to be like every week or every month. Sometimes I message them once every six months or once every three months, mm-hmm. but it's just to let them know like, hey, this is what's up, how it's been going. Yeah. And, you know, because I enjoy talking to them as people. It's not like, not because now that I got into McKinsey or now that I got into Deloitte, you're done because there's nothing else to learn from you. Like, no, like, I think that's where a lot of people get networking wrong. It's like, they start out with the intention of just, I want to learn stuff from people, not wrong. But that's it. Like once they realize there's nothing to learn from this person, they're like, all right, just kind of lose contact. No, yeah, I think you touched on two great points. One that um, you want to build relationships, not transactions, right? You mm-hmm. don't want to just learn a technical uh, thing from another person. You want to get to know them and th- that builds a relationship that lasts longer than just helping you in your role. Um, and two, I feel like you are so aware of what you are like and how, what kind of people that you kind of vibe well with. And that, t- that takes a certain level of self-awareness. And I think so a lot of people just think that I just have to reach out to a lot of mentors. But <laughs> not that you have to understand what your needs are, what, you, uh, what kind of people that you interact well with. And there are so many people out there that can fit those needs. So I think those are both great, very great points. Um, for you... Coming from Singapore, coming from an Asian background, has culture played a role either negatively or uh, positively in your career? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that's definitely still a struggle that I deal with. Um, I would say, like, you know, you always hear like Asians are the model minority, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and they'll, they'll look at statistics such as, oh, the average Asian median income is like higher than most you know, minorities, like this is great. Mm-hmm. And it, they try to spin it as a, a positive narrative Right. And there, there are some positives there. However, if you look at the statistics even more, there's not a lot of Asians in leadership. Right. I saw that both at McKinsey and Deloitte. Mm-hmm. And it is something that both firms are working actively to address. But for me, it's not only the fact that, you know, I'm Asian. It's also the fact that I'm not American. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was kind of that double whammy of that struggle coming to the U.S. Uh, for me, like I, I personally came in knowing that I want to step out of my comfort zone. So I joined DSP, Dollar Sigma Pi, which is a business fraternity, but it was 90% Americans and Caucasians mm-hmm. and 10% international people. But I made that very conscious choice because, you know, I want to try to, you know, see if I can integrate with a different culture. I see if we can connect. And Initially, it was difficult because, like I mentioned, I don't really party or drink much. And mm-hmm. I think in, in America, it's kind of celebrated. You go loud, you go party, you have a good time. Right. And for me, uh, my definition of a good time was just different. So I really had to chart kind of my own path. Because um, mm-hmm. I, did, I did try, right? When I tried to learn about American football, I tried to learn about basketball. I'm not a sports guy either, so I don't have that either. Um, what I realized worked for me was that I took the opposite approach. I said, you know, screw it. Like, I'll do the opposite approach. I'll, I'll just share what I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Um, so I would share with people. I still remember it was one of those networking dinners with Deloitte when I was re-recruiting for strategy consulting. Mm-hmm. And it was a table of five of us. Um, that was the partner, I think three other people and me. And I was the only international Asian guy. Everyone else there was Caucasian. Mm-hmm. And you know, it started out the conversation of like, oh yeah, I went to Carmel, Indiana. You know, I went skiing in the Alps or whatever. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, like, usual i can't relate and you know out of courtesy typically the professionals will ask you and say hey like what do you do for fun right Mm -hmm. and i was like oh this is my chance so i shared like the stuff that i was interested in during that time i talked about driverless cars how that's changing the market i talked about accelerated language acquisition 
um, just talk about all these passions. And it's not just saying like, oh, I like reading and here's a book I read. It was really me saying, hey, here's a book I read, why I love it, why I'm so excited, the takeaways I had, how it impacts like everything else. And it turns out just by coincidence that partner's wife was a language teacher teaching Spanish. Oh. And so I was like, oh, you know, I'm more than happy to send you some of the articles and helpful tips and tricks that I've learned. Mm-hmm. And so I sent him over after the dinner as well. You know, I had a, a, a senior who was at Deloitte Consulting and he told me that after that dinner, he said, the partner loved you just based on that conversation. Yeah. And it wasn't because like I was similar and went to Carmel High School or you know, I was American. It's just, I think I added value to the conversation because mm-hmm. from the perspective of a professional, you can imagine they always get the same topics, right? Sports, weather, high school. And it's like, they're on autopilot. They're like, all right, I'm going to autopilot and say, yeah, you know, when I was in high school, da, da, da. but it doesn't leave an impression mm-hmm. compared to, I think, my experience where I kind of share things I learn and I enjoy, which I think everyone might find interesting. And yeah, just by coincidence, they did. Yeah. Do you think that's still true today at Deloitte where you're able to be your full authentic self, like talk about the things that really interest you. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good question. And it's again, something I've, I've thought about throughout the years, both at my college career and now working for around three years plus. Um, I've had plenty of friends who have told me that, Hey Andrew, like being vulnerable and being honest, is not a good thing. And they said, can you imagine, if someone uses what you say and they use it against you and might stab you in the back, right? Mm. And, and so I've thought about that. Think, think about it, right? Let's say in a work setting, you, you're working with someone on a team, you're feeling a bit frustrated, you know, you're kind of overwhelmed, you might be a bit depressed, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you talk to a teammate and you confide in the teammate and you say, hey, you know what? It's been kind of a rough two months on this project. I'm feeling I'm worried about my mental health. And, you know, there is a chance when you're that vulnerable that, you know, not to say I've met any of these people yet, thank God, but mm-hmm. there is a chance that someone might use that against you and say to the manager and say, oh, you know, I don't think Andrew can handle this, right? Maybe, maybe he shouldn't, like, they can frame it a nicer way. They'll be like, oh, you know, I'm worried about Andrew. He seems to be depressed. You know, maybe right. this, this, this isn't the right fit. They're not like maliciously like saying it in a very obvious way that they're scheming against you, but right. that is, that is a possibility that I've also considered. But, you know, my response to, to those friends were like, you know what, I, I still rather be my authentic self because let's say I do get stabbed in the back or let's say I get fired because I stood up for my values, then that's fine because, you know, that shows that it wasn't a fit for the company or, you know, it turns out that, you know, I also gained, gained stuff because by being as vulnerable and honest, I made so much deeper friendships with people and most people don't want to take the first step and I understand why it's, it's very tough to like open up and say, Hey, you know what? I'm struggling or to say, you know, I, I have difficulties with this or, you know, or even come out of the closet, right. For some people and say, Hey, you know what? I'm actually, you know, homosexual. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you don't take the risk, you will forever go on with the rest of your life, you know, not meeting authentic friends or authentic mentors or relationships. And you will always be calculating and say, Oh shit, when I'm talking to this person, you know, I need to keep up this appearance. I need to say the right things that's politically correct. Like, I don't want to step on eggshells. And it gets very tiring if you do that for the rest of your life. My last question for you is, Andrew, where are you going? Where, what's the next few years hold for you? And what's next for you? Yeah, um, for me, I, I definitely do want to stay in the US. But given recent talks from the government, 
on immigration, that, that might be a challenge. Yeah. Um, I do want to hopefully move to the West Coast. Uh, my wife, like I mentioned, had two full-time offers um, over one in the West Coast, one in Detroit, which both got rescinded due to COVID. Um, but I think that move was what kind of sparked, like, where do I want to go next? And having been in the Midwest for most of my, you know, career here in the US, um, I want to try going to the West Coast, um, one for better weather, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then two, just to have a, a kind of fresh environment. Um, yeah. I want to, I want to see if like, you know, if I can get into the tech space and try to get some exposure there. Cause going, if I do want, if I do plan to go back to Singapore, I want to, you know, make the transition as smooth as possible and tech and finance are the easiest industries to break in back in Singapore. Uh, and then for me, so most of my friends who moved from Chicago to the West Coast all said they don't regret the decision. They love it. Yep. My my only worry is my wallet because cost of living there is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I think it'll be a worthwhile time to move. Um, in terms of career, definitely I don't see consulting as a long term career. I don't. And things could change. I mean, I don't really envision myself to be a partner. Mm -hmm. um, but who knows, right? <laughs> Uh, but at least for now, I, I still want to be in consulting, learn as much as I can and see where opportunities lie. Mm -hmm. um, but I know for a fact that I'm not going to let my career or job define who I am. And I think some of that happened when I was at McKinsey. Like I, I used to be a kid that has really so low self-confidence. So when I got into McKinsey, like it was a huge confidence booster. Like, you know, mm -hmm. people ask you where you work, you say McKinsey, and then you kind of feel a bit good about yourself. But I realized I started to attach a bit too much of my identity to my job. Mm -hmm. uh, but having left McKinsey, I was like, you know what? Like, no, nah. like my job is important and all, but I, I can't be attached to the label of like a Deloitte consultant, right? Mm -hmm. For example. So I know for a fact that, you know, regardless of what happens with my job, whichever company I'm working for, I'm always looking for things outside of work that get me excited. Like, you know, coaching and mentoring is a big one, which I still do. Mm -hmm. I'm looking to, you know, learn up, you know, build up my cooking, my Instagram cooking account, learn yeah. photogra photography skills. Like, I think that's what some students fall in the trap is they always look for the career to provide the answers and the path. But kind of with the internet now, you can do whatever you want. Like, yeah. you can learn on your own. Like, why wait for someone to decide it for you? Just, just do it yourself, right? Yeah. Um, and I think... The tough part is really being proactive on not being a victim. And a lot of people find the victim mindset. Like, okay, like life is tough. But let's just be honest, right? Mm -hmm. Like people do come from disadvantaged backgrounds for sure, right? I was fortunate enough that I could even come to the US, right? But, you know, things are, those things are out of your control. If you're born in a family or a situation that puts you at a disadvantage, yes, it sucks. And it is, it does make your path tougher. But there comes a time where you just have to say, you know what, like things are out of my control. What can I control? What can I do? Right. Especially with this COVID situation, right? This COVID situation, folks are like, oh, I can't do anything now. You know, I was going to go on that full-time job offer, like screw COVID for coming out. And I'm like, yeah, of course, screw COVID. But let's, <laughs> let's, let's focus on the things that we can control now. Right. And it's not easy because I, I fell into the same trap. Like growing up, I was like, I let people tell me what to do. I never took the step back to think what I wanted to do because it's tough. Like even till now, I'm still trying to figure out stuff. Right. And I don't have all the answers. I think sometimes when I talk to students, they feel like, Oh, Andrew has all his shit figured out. And I was like, no, like <laughs> I'm, I'm just as human as you. I make so many mistakes and I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And 
I think sometimes it's important to, to show people, that's why it's important to be vulnerable because you don't come across as someone who is like so far away that you can't relate. Like I, I, I struggle with depression. I, I struggle with like the same struggles that you go through in the stress, you know, trying to deal with being an Asian international here in the US, right. Right? trying to deal with work problems. Like we shouldn't sugarcoat the bad stuff, but you know, we should focus on the good stuff as well that we can control. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Andrew, for joining. Uh, this was awesome. Um, and best of luck. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Upward. You can find Upward on your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're following us on social media, including Instagram at Upward underscore podcast for updates on future episodes, Breakthrough Asian Americans in Corporate America, and just for updates on the platform itself. 